1: Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of In the Details, a celebration of nuance where each week I queen out on all of the acting choices, micro moments and magic in the minutia that make a scene great. My name is Colin Drucker.
0: Well, okay, her name's Mallory, Mallory Church, and my name's Valerie Valerie Church
1: and it is clearly it is clearly that time of year. It is that holiday season. I am not talking about Christmas. I am talking about Cherishing Valerie season. Uh, we are we are in it. We are already in it. I am so excited to revisit the comeback and revisit Valerie Cherish and to pick up where I left off with Cherishing Valerie this week. Uh, if you have not gotten a chance to listen to parts 1, 2, and 3 of Cherishing Valerie, which all cover really the season 1 of the comeback... I would say uh, you don't have to listen to them until we'll be able to listen to this episode, but why not? Why not be a completist about it? But you're already here, so um, you can listen to this and then go catch up afterwards. So why stop listening? You know, you might be, like, driving or in the shower or something, so, like, this is not a good time to stop the podcast. So stay, stay. Um, Anyway, hi. Uh, hello, everybody. I hope you're well. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I, I have a few things to get into before we before we officially cherish Valerie again. Um, I do want to just say, if you did not get a chance to listen to uh, the Devil Wears Prada recap I did last week, or a little over a week ago since I recorded this, uh, with Jonathan Minton, it was a great episode. I'm really proud of it. I really feel like we... We dug in really deep on that movie in a way that I like did not expect, and uh, we're definitely going to do another episode again soon. Uh, he had some ideas we were talking about afterwards, and I was like, "Oh, that would be that would be really interesting. We should do that." And it's uh, it's next level in the details. It's next level nuance. I'm I'm really I'm excited. It's gonna be a cool project. Uh, and then I think I'm gonna have another guest coming up next month as well. So it'll it's nice to kind of you know have some folks join me every once in a while. I think, as I said before, in 2019, I do want to have more collaboration episodes, more guests, more folks coming on just to talk about, you know, even if we don't do like a full deep dive on a movie, it's like, just tell me about your one favorite nuance or favorite scene. And let's just like queen out about that for 20 minutes, you know? So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll figure that out. I mean, in the meantime, I, I feel like it's like this, this embarrassment of riches of things that I want to do episodes on and queen out about. I am definitely not done with scary movies. And I just, there's just so many more that I need to talk about. There's so many more little nuances. There's so many more final girls and obscure, strange, emotionally charged moments that I don't expect. And we still have to do the sleepaway camp episode. And I want to do an episode. I really like, um, I, I love like New York City especially like in the seventies or the eighties as a setting in a scary movie. Uh, and so there, I definitely want to sort of like capture that nuance and like what that feels like and what that looks like. Uh, so, I mean, it'll all happen. I'm just kind of putting that out there. I don't know. I don't know what took me so long or how, how my life progressed so far up to this point. But a friend recently showed me the 1984 Supergirl. Now, I am not a superhero comic book um, Marvel DC, UC UNC, Mey, 3C, whatever they're called. I'm not into any of that. I just I you know was never gonna be looking in that direction for anything I thought I'd love. And I've seen I saw I saw the new Wonder Woman movie uh, last year and it was it was good. There was some who was that? Who was that little that little lady, that little assistant or whatever? That little British lady, she was a hoot. I liked her and and Wonder Woman. I mean, what's her name? Gail Gail Godot. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. I, I think that's what it is. She's like, I mean, I when I grow up, I want to be her. I mean, she's just she's just great. But uh, it's just again, it's just not my thing. I, I don't know. But in any event, 1984, Supergirl. I haven't even seen. I've probably only seen like 25 minutes of it. But what I can tell you. Most importantly, it stars uh, Helen Shaver, a Supergirl. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, It also has a fun little cameo early on from Mia Farrow. But more importantly, it features Faye Dunaway as the villain, as this witch who wants to rule the world, quite simply. And she has a sort of um, executive assistant witch played by Brenda Vaccaro. And so I have seen at least two scenes so far in this 25 minutes of Supergirl where it's just been a scene of just Faye Dunaway at like a 27. Like it, it she's she's making her performance in Mommy Dearest look like this quiet studied perform, like like, you know, example of, of authentic humanity. Like it it's it is Faye it is Faye Dunaway runaway and not coming back. Like she is just gone and it's great and and Brenda Vaccaro being as charming and as you know um perfect in my eyes as one can be like the two of them just alone in a scene these two women of of a middle age just being witches living in an abandoned amusement park overacting i i could stand an 8 hour retrospect of that you know like I Ken Burns could do this you know and I would watch the entire thing in one sitting you know it's it's just so good it's just so good and so I feel like there's definitely an episode of Supergirl that needs to happen equally I feel like I've talked about her long enough there needs to be a, a real Brenda Vaccaro episode because you might not you might be like I don't know who this Brenda Vaccaro is but like next like i get it first things first she's a best supporting actress nominee but for this strange movie it's like jacqueline suzanne's once is not enough which i've not seen but she also won the golden globe for it as well so she must have been something but i think i read a review where the the reviewer was like i think it was just a weak year i don't really know why she was nominated so uh we'll have to find out what that's about it's available on amazon prime so i can watch that and then, of course, I mean, one of my childhood favorites is Airport 77. I, I mean, if for no other reason but to talk about Airport 77, there needs to be a Brenda Vaccaro episode, because then that, of course, brings us to, like, Lee Grant. And, uh, oh, who else is in that? Oh, Olivia de Havilland's in that. Jack Lemons in that. Uh, oh, what's your name? Um, not Kathleen Quinlan, the other one. Is it Kathleen Quinlan? Uh I can't remember. It's uh it's an all-star cast. It's it's just winners from top to bottom. Speaking of Kathleen Quinlan, uh I was I was kind of wandering on IMDb. I found someone created some list of like obscure movies from the 1980s and I had not heard of any of them except for this like 1989 TV movie called Trapped where Kathleen Quinlan is trapped in a high-rise office building with a killer. I remember like renting it. I don't know when I was like twelve, and it's it's. I remember it being pretty good. I I think that like I love that concept. I love you know keep it simple. Get locked in an office building all night with a serial killer. That's like there's so many floors. There's so many different settings. There's the stairwell. There's like the creepy basement. Maybe maybe there's the roof eventually. I mean, uh, this is uh, that that is a great setting. Uh, and there's oh god, there was oh I'm gonna jump onto a tangent. Never mind. But there's this like British it's like a t british tv movie in a way from like the early 70s that's kind of the same concept that is also really good and i can't remember what it's called but um yeah the trope of being chased around an office building by a killer uh more please in any event so yes all of that to say that whether or not kathleen quinlan is in airport 77 i'm still going to recap it and queen out on it because brenda's in it because it's a great movie uh yeah and then there's oh there's this movie called Death Weekend also known as House by the Lake which is this kind of uh you know the it's kind of the 70s had a lot of these like revenge movies is like women getting revenge movies and i i guess they're kind of inspired by this movie called I Spit on Your Grave or also by like Last House on the Left things like that like just people kind of like the first half of the movie is pretty unpleasant where they get either you know beaten up or raped or you know just held hostage and then the second half of the movie is where it's like okay well this time it's personal and they fight back in all sorts of elaborate ways and I remember you know Brenda Vaccaro being obviously great in it and it's not as brutal as some of those other revenge movies but uh, that'd be a fun one to to queen out on in any event this is not a Brenda Vaccaro episode. I could go on all day. I think we need to move on to another very important piece of news, and that is, of course, that we're keeping an eye on Toni Collette as we move into the awards season. And um, I am sad to report that she has, been no- she has not been nominated for a Golden Globe or a Sc- Screen Actors Guild Award for Hereditary I have a lot of feelings about this. I um I do want to, of course, name drop. You know my my podcast crush, Gay Lords of Darkness, because they also talked about this on their most recent episode. That it's just a damn shame she hasn't been nominated. That it's uh, just. I mean, everything they said, everything I've said about this performance, it just is so haunting and so good and it's definitely the thing I walked away from that movie like still talking about. I think four different episodes I have talked about Toni Collette in Hereditary. I'm tempted to play that clip again of her yelling at her family, but I'm not going to do it. It's it's just so I don't know why. I just I can't I just can't get over it. But chances are, I don't know at this point, I don't see her like slipping an Oscar nomination in there. You know, I think at this point it's going to be duking it out between uh, Glenn Close in The Wife or probably Olivia Coleman in uh, The Favorite. And then I think in the Best Supporting Actress category, it's Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone for Best Supporting Actress. Though I think who got nominated, I think for a Golden Globe, Regina King got nominated for If Beale Street Could Talk, which I didn't know much about, and then I watched a a trailer of it. And I read a review where the reviewer was like, yeah, the movie is like all about like the little nuances and facial expressions and small changes in the moment. And I was like, OK, well, there's a Best Supporting Actress nominee. There's nuances. The trailer looked great. I was like, this sounds like a movie I need to see. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see that. I do want to see that just to kind of have like a, you know, if if Tony Collette's not going to get nominated, I kind of want to have a dog in the race. You know what I mean? Like I want to have someone to kind of say, oh, yeah, I'd love to see that person win Um, because it's like Amy Adams is getting nominated for Vice, which I finally watched the trailer for. And I don't know. I mean, they showed like two seconds of her because it's this whole, you know, um, biopic about Dick Cheney. So it really is all kind of about Christian Bales, you know, another one of these crazy transformations that he does. So it's really kind of more about him transforming himself into Dick Cheney. But apparently she's great, but you don't really see much of her. So I don't know. I... um. I think that's all the business. Yeah, I think I've covered everything. Um, I guess the only other thing just to say is just to kind of keep an eye on the nominations that Toni Collette has gotten for Hereditary. I think she most recently, she got nominated for, I think it's the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television. She got nominated for Best Lead Actress. She was nominated for Broadcast Film Critics Association Best Actress. She won the Chicago Film Critics Association Award. She won the Detroit Film Critics Society Award. She was nominated for Best Female Lead from the Film Independent Spirit Awards. The trailer was nominated for uh, Best Horror Trailer and Most Original Trailer, which I think is fair. The trailer is actually great. And it doesn't really... I mean, every trailer, unless it's done very specifically, gives stuff away. You know, I mean, like, you see that somebody is on fire at some point in Hereditary, and so... I knew when the scene started, when someone was on fire, who was going to be on fire. I was like, "Oh, I know it's going to happen." So yes, there's some spoilers, but it's still a great trailer. Um, and of course, we know that she won the Gotham Award for Best Actress, but she also won the International Online Cinema Awards for Best Actress. I don't know if you knew. <laughs> anyway, uh, she got nominated for Los Angeles Film Critics Association. You know, blah. blah. She anyway, she's getting recognition, but obviously. If you really love something, you want everyone else to love it just as much. But that's just the nature of the beast. It's not always a meritocracy. All that being said, I think it's time to get into it. I think it's time to get to the main event. So this week, uh, I decided what we should really do first is really bridge the gap between season one and season two of The Comeback and really kind of understand what happened to Valerie Cherish, After we last saw her really kind of, you know, at her peak, you know, she had just turned what could have been, you know, public humiliation uh, on the comeback into what we kind of know now is like a going viral moment where she went on The Tonight Show and she she made a joke of it. She kind of did what we know now is what you're supposed to do uh, as someone with any sort of a public, you know, a persona is that if you are caught in a gaffe like that, if like you... If you fall down the stairs or if you have some sort of wardrobe malfunction or, you know, just something where people have made a fool of you, you kind of need to be the one laughing loudest at it and you need to lead the laughter to use it in your own, to use it to your benefit, you know, and she sort of inadvertently learns that lesson at the end of season one is to take that humiliation and extract the fame from it and extract the attention and extract the opportunity from it and put aside her ego. If, if, if everyone seeing her punching Pauly G and throwing up is what's going to get her not only on The Tonight Show but an invite to come back, she's getting what she wanted, and even the, the, the comeback getting picked up for a second season, she got everything she wanted out of this. So uh, it was worth it, you know? But of course, you know, it doesn't all last. And so a lot of what I've determined here in that, in that period of nine years from the last we saw her and when we see her again, you know, putting together this pilot reel is really pulled not only from the, the little details that are scattered throughout, but also there is a, I, th- I think they were probably extras on the DVD. There's a couple of little clips of, one is called After the Laughter, and it's kind of Valerie introducing the extras on the DVD of the comeback, and which is just like meta upon meta levels. It's crazy. And then there's this other little thing featuring Valerie Cherish as a contestant on Dancing with the Stars. And so both of those, I'll have the links to each of those in the description of this episode. They're both on YouTube. And so really this is looking at everything that she did In the descent from stardom and everything she tried to do to come back again. Room and board faced eviction after one season. And probably for a variety of reasons that weren't just Polly G's heroin usage, though that probably didn't help matters tremendously. The show had devolved from its original Threes Company meets Sex in the City concept, thanks in large part due to Valerie. Now the Threes Company elements included a veritable Mrs. Roper in a pastel tracksuit, and the set would be crowded with an additional camera crew to follow the desperate, delusional, washed-up sitcom star who was trying with all her might to make this show all about her. And also, it was a terrible show. Within their first season, they had reworked the concept at least three times, had brought in stunt casting with Greg and Kaveen, unfortunately referred to as the Beattie Beattie Boys, and essentially only had Juna Milken's star power to rely on at the time. Rumen and Board helped launch both Juna and Chris into stardom. We never we hear what happens to Shane or Jesse or Greg and Kaveen, but like many failed sitcoms, this is often the end of the line. It's a subtle and likely intentional commentary that it's only the white cast members who go on to greater success. With the cancellation of Room and Board came the cancellation of The Comeback. In the meantime, reality TV was continuing to grow out of its prepubescent phase of watching humanity at its most humiliating, with shows like Dancing with the Stars premiering in 2005. Valerie Cherish is, in some ways, the quintessential example of someone who would compete on Dancing with the Stars, and she ends up joining the third or fourth season based on season two contestant Lisa Rinna's advice.
0: Lisa Rinna told me that I'd have fun. Didn't.
1: Valerie likely gets voted off third.
0: Lucky I'm not limping after he dropped me. And you know, on the show like this, if you're, you know, when you're dropped, you're dead. I'm going to be voted off tomorrow. Yeah. Turn. Ow. Ooh, see that? That hurt. That really hurt. My neck's sore. My neck is sore. Can't turn my head. Well, I'm not surprised. After a whole week of being yelled at, whip your head, whip your head. Well, I can't do his accent. So, you know, but I did whip my head.
1: You whipped it good. I
0: did. I did. I did. But he was too busy. He was too busy giving me a dirty look after the head whip, you know, that he, he forgot to step around my legs and he dropped me. That's when he dropped me. You know, we're going to get voted off tomorrow.
1: But good news, the eliminated contestant goes on Good Morning America the next morning.
0: That's right. You know what? I forgot all about that. You go on Good Morning America. (laughs) You you can't lose with this show. (laughs) Good Morning America. Mickey, we're going to New York. Olé! Ow. (laughs) That hurt. Can't even do that.
1: And that's the indomitable spirit of Valerie Cherish. Valerie's it wall in Mark's office is a wealth of history and context for understanding who Valerie was throughout the years or who she was trying to be at least. In season two, we see some interesting additions from over the years. Almost none of them are addressed and some of them are blink and you'll miss them. But within the first act of episode one, they help answer the question of what happened to Valerie Cherish next. Valerie loves a framed chair back. I'm It's been up there for years, but now she has The Comeback, Room and Board, and something called Two to Tango. I imagine that Two to Tango came on the heels, so to speak, of Dancing with the Stars. The novelty of D-list celebrities flamencoing for relevance was still super fresh. Maybe the footage of her being dropped went viral and kept her around as something of a punchline. Especially after barfing on The Comeback, Valerie was becoming something of a stunt queen, an early meme queen even. People have gotten TV shows for a lot less. And so someone suggested we get Val back in those cha cha heels for summer's funniest new sitcom about the hijinks that go on at a ballroom dancing studio. Valerie might play the owner, and the pilot likely introduced a sexy new Salsa instructor who she is meant to, of course, engage in a drawn out will they or won't they courtship similar to her romantic arc on I'm It. A receptionist assistant instructors, and regular students would make for a colorful ensemble, and if it wanted to, the show could feature a choreographed moment every episode. And what fun to see Val dancing again on TV. Two to Tango may have never made it past a pilot. The choreography each episode was likely too ambitious, too rock cop, and maybe Valerie had zero chemistry with her co-star, likely a Nestor Carbonell or Isai Morales, though she really wanted Andy Garcia. Of course, unlike Tom Selleck, she didn't have his number, and Tom wasn't interested in going on TV. Two to tango tanks, and Valerie is left in the lurch again. But not for long, because in 2008, she joined the first season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Or, at least... She attempted to before melting down in what appears to be seized footage of a white wine lunch with Lisa Vanderpump.
0: Nobody, nobody's trying to make you the villain here. Well, you're okay. yeah, trying to make me talk about people and I don't know no. things. I can't say things that I don't know. I can't oh, for do God it. Say. Well, I can't, okay? I've done this before. They are trying to make me the villain. Mm-mm. All right? Well, they say they're not. They right. say they're not. And then get oh, no. out! You don't know what's coming later, all right? Because I've done this before, and this should be a warning to you, all right? I'm not putting myself through this again.
1: Valerie is still clearly shaken by her experience with the comeback, and as over-the-top as she's being in that moment, she's not wrong. The way she says, I've done this before, is like watching Kevin McCarthy at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers staggering through traffic, crying out that they're here already and you're next. Valerie slowly goes from a real housewife back to just a housewife. She did a healthy handful of student films, but drew the line at eight. (laughs) It also looks like from the it wall, there are two framed playbills. One looks like a Broadway playbill for Godspell. I'm
0: going to have my agent set up some meetings, you know, because I should do Broadway. I should do Broadway, you know. They're always needing celebrities to help their shows out, so... That's a great plan. That's what I'm going to do.
1: Of course, we know Val isn't exactly a singer.
0: And I spent oh so many nights just feeling sorry for myself. I used to cry. But now I hold my head up high and you'll see me! Somebody new! Come on that chain of little person still in love with you. And so you felt like dropping in and just accepting to be free. Now I'm saving all my loving for someone else. tried to break me with goodbye you think you think lay down and die? Oh, no, not I. Oh, it's so good. I'm sorry, it's just so good.
1: So maybe she got a three-week run in a supporting role. The reviews were limited and unenthusiastic. Val was no Broadway baby. But that wasn't the end of her time on the boards, an expression she picked up somewhere and appropriated as her own. And she found herself in what was likely a regional or community theater production of William Gibson's Two for the Seesaw. The two-person romantic drama would have her playing a quirky New Yorker, kooky and free-spirited in all the ways she's not. It's a role that was originated by Anne Bancroft and played in a film version by Shirley MacLaine in a play that relies heavily on good casting to work at all. I have to imagine it didn't. And her New York accent was essentially,
0: I have very big news that I'm very excited to tell you about. (laughs) That's my Edith Bunker.
1: (laughs) After that, Val was done with theater, done with the whole routine. At some point, Mark's daughter Francesca went to New York to study fashion, and Mark and Valerie continued to navigate their relationship. We learn in season two of an affair and an abortion, and we know from some of their captured conflicts that they have done couples counseling. Val, referring to a circle of trust at one point, tells me everything I need to know about the kind of work they've had to do. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, throughout it all, Mickey has been ever-present. As the years have gone on, Mickey's role in Valerie's life clearly deepened. Maybe there's something about the shared trauma of the comeback, or finding your allies in this business and holding them close, even if it's just so they'll laugh at your stupid jokes and tell you you're enough when you forget. And also, help you sell a line of hair care products specifically for redheads, like the Cherish Your Hair Care Club.
0: Well, as a television star and an actress, your hair goes through a lot. It sure does, and it needs a lot of protection. That's why we developed Cherish Your Hair, Hair Care for Redheads. Because why should blondes and brunettes get all the attention? <laughs> and red can be a very harsh color treatment for your hair. Am I right? You sure are, yeah. I'm going to let my hairdresser, Mickey Dean, tell you a little more about that, can you? I certainly can. Redheads always need a little extra TLC. That's tender, loving, cherish.
1: <laughs> There's a sense of quiet stability in these years, with Francesca gone Hollywood a distant lover. I would imagine Valerie lost touch with Jane years ago, but kept in touch with Juna, including attending her yearly pre-Emmy party. She was probably at the very first one. I can imagine Juna insisting she come and that she bring Mark and Mickey. I can imagine her being a little nervous about people coming and Valerie assuring her, baby girl, you're going to need security for this party eventually. Meanwhile, reality TV has taken over the entertainment industry. And facts are facts. Valerie was a pioneer of this Wild West and faced all of the slings and arrows that came with it. So what was it that made her decide to try again? When did she think I've got something here? Who told her that? Was she watching the Real Housewives one night and thinking, "She's no more so of a celebrity than I am. How is she on this and I'm not?" And whoever she is, the answer is likely because she was willing and able to play the game. She understood the most important rule of reality TV. It's not real. It's based in reality. The same way Beverly Hills 90210 is based in a specific zip code, it's as real as real fruit juice flavor. It's as honest as Fox News. Tell the truth, but tell it slant. That makes for good TV. I used to think that she started this pilot that we're seeing in episode one purely from a brief Twitter interaction with Andy Cohen. Communicating
0: because I wrote, been communicating because I wrote um, funny tweet Andy, and he wrote back, thanks Val. And then, and then I wrote, um, let you see what I'm up to. So this is what I'm
1: up to. But I don't think Val is that delusional. I think the fact that he responded to her at all, especially after the housewives debacle, likely lit a fire under her. She had made some kind of contact and her years of training in Hollywood reinforced the importance of not wasting that connection. If anything, it was a sign that she should absolutely be moving forward with this project, following an actress who helped usher in the reality TV craze nine years later. Of course, the question is, what is there to follow? She says to Andy, you should see what I'm up to. But what? You know, I I think of Valerie returning sheets in season one and realizing how boring it all was. I mean, how would any of this be any different if it wasn't for a new project written and directed by Paulie G, featuring a character who was all too similar to her. In this portrait of a woman trying to make her life imitate art, we discover that art is imitating life, which is a perfect act one gun for season two of The Comeback, in which Valerie stars in a reality show playing essentially a version of herself while also playing a version of herself in a new HBO show called Seeing Red. The first two episodes, but especially the first episode of season two, do an incredible job of making this bizarre and seemingly implausible situation work. Next week in part five of Charishing Valerie, we're going to go chart that journey back into the spotlight, including Jane's return to Valerie's life, Mickey's importance as an ever-present companion, and the dismantling of Valerie's marriage to Mark in the process of rebuilding her career as an actress. The Valerie of season two is stronger, but not always wiser. She's a little more unapologetic and a little less naive. Her addiction to fame feels more like a compulsion now, but her fame is also on a trajectory of greater legitimacy than before. The drug has changed. The side effects are different. They're a lot more powerful. This new fame also asks her to make bigger and harder choices than she's had to before. The layered meta-nature of Season 2 holds up multiple refracting mirrors. It creates a sort of funhouse illusion where neither we nor Valerie can tell what's a reflection and what's real at times. Ultimately, the real journey of Season 2 is not just Valerie's return to reality TV. It's her return to reality. That my friends is just a little amuse bouche, a little appetizer, a little uh, first course before next week. We really dive into the, the journey that we see Valerie go on in season two. I I can't wait. I mean, the first episode alone, beat by beat, is brilliant, and it and it covers every question, even if you have to dig kind of deep to get that answer. And I think the comeback's willingness to um, trust our our intelligence and to trust our interest in their nuances and to know that their audience is here to figure that out and doesn't need it spoon-fed is, uh, I mean, it's just like, it, it's so the spirit of season two. It feels like a season that was made for people who loved the first season. But anyway, all of that will continue next week. Until then, uh, let me know your thoughts. Let me know your feelings on season two or or even your feelings on Brenda Vaccaro or other things you want to hear me queen out about or other things that you have heard me queen out about that you want to respond to in some way the best way to do that is to drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com Or you can follow me and reach out to me on Twitter, at Colin Drucker. And of course, if you just want to let the world know how much you love this podcast, iTunes is the place to do that. You just leave a five-star rating and a positive review, and everybody reads it, and they're like, okay, well, then I guess I should listen to this podcast. So, yeah, that's how it works. That's my understanding. Um, Anyway, thank you so much for joining me this week for uh, this little prologue to our continuation of Cherishing Valerie. And I can't wait to chat with you again next week where we will continue to celebrate all of the acting choices, micro-moments, and magic in the minutia of the comeback on In the Details. Thanks, everyone. Bye.